In the fall of 2018, a remarkable young woman helped me see that students sharing of personal experiences is a powerful way to expand their capacities to empathize. My English language and composition classes were inquiring into the growing national concern over the police use of deadly force on suspects. We were exploring all perspectives from a variety of sources and the class was deeply engaged in the research, being genuinely passionate about their positions on the matter. At the time, the majority of my students were native to Idaho, most of them being native to Meridian. So their exposure from local incidents of police-involved shootings, let alone brutality, was little to none. And what knowledge they did have was mostly from national media reports and journalistic investigations. One text that I used was the actual released footage from police body cameras and bystanders' personal phone recordings. We are comparing the various reports from the news stories and eyewitness accounts to what is shown in the videos. A series of videos were of the 2014 shooting and killing of Walter Scott. I had warned students of the graphic nature of the video and told them they could choose to leave the room. However, they all remained. After watching the video, Cassie, a pseudonym, known for being quiet but insightful, was crying. Our desks were situated in a semicircle, so most students could see her, so vulnerable. Light tears streaked down her cheeks, mascara slightly smudged, head slightly bowed. The room was heavy silence. I prompted all to reflect on their notes on what they noticed and then opened a discussion by asking about the implications of the reports and the video. With little pause, Cassie began telling her story from her growing up in Los Angeles, hearing multiple stories of police cases of young black and Hispanic men, hearing her parents fear for her brother. I remember emphasizing, I'm sad because this type of thing happened in the neighborhoods I grew up in. It hurts knowing that murder by police does happen but they are rarely brought to justice. The class visibly contemplated the gravity of her anecdote. And as the conversation turned to the videos of Scott's murder, students were more attentive to how they described the evidence and the conclusions and judgments they drew from it. Most came away with some semblance of new and a bit of empathy for Cassie and those with similar perceptions. Welcome friend. You are listening to our most recent Twigcast. Our TWIG, Teaching Writers Inquiry Group, met on October 12th to discuss how as teachers we most, res- we most responsibly help students explore other perspectives to develop their own claim. If you missed that session, it's okay. We're going to continue the conversation today and we're lucky enough to have Jody Braun. Um, he is an AP English language and composition as well as a sophomore English teacher. He teaches at Rocky Mountain High School here um, in Meridian, Idaho. And um, as you heard from his story, Jody um, has some experience uh, discussing with students some really tough topics um, to get them to think about argument. So welcome, Jody. Hi, Patty, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Now, for those of you who may be some of our avid podcast listeners, you may recognize Jody's name. He is the one and only producer that usually does his magic behind the scenes. So it's really cool to be able to have him live in studio. So thanks, Jody, again, for all you do to make this podcast run. Of course, I'm glad to be here. It's awesome. You know, when you were talking about Cassie and... um 
and how she reacted to the material. You, you didn't really mention how the rest of the class was reacting. I'm kind of wondering, what did you notice with the other students that maybe hadn't had those experiences that Cassie had had? Most of them, um, you know, I couldn't see any. I mean, I could say that they were contemplating about it, reflecting on it, but it didn't have, you know, an immediately emotional connection to them. Um, and my other sections that did not have Cassie in them, they were all like that. They, you know, like there was no immediate, uh, you know, um, you know, that level of, of upsetness. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she uh, really brought in that personal perspective um, and um, contributed to that conversation in ways that the other classes weren't able to because we didn't have anybody else who had that level of personal connection to the story. So would you say with some of the um, coming from Idaho and, you know, even in Meridian, like, are you, do you think of those things as you're choosing topics about, you know, are you trying to pick things that your students um, don't have experience with or, do you kind of go more for trying to find things that some of them will have be able to make that connection? What have you found to be successful in choosing these types of subject matter? I try to find a balance. So mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the police use of deadly force was a good example of that, I believe, because it was a, you know, it's a national, it's still a, you know, national conversation. It's still a, a huge public debate. Um, we're seeing, you know, the effects of, um, you know, the whole police restructuring as a movement. So um, students were invested in that portion of it, um, but exposing them to um, you know, something that they wouldn't necessarily be um, directly privy to or haven't experienced, um, I think it's important. I think that's part of the processes, you know, that, you know, these things are um, happening elsewhere and that should be um, something for them to consider. So um, the more we can um, broaden their, their viewpoints or show them these various perspectives, the better off um, the instruction will be. Mm -hmm. I definitely could um, see, I mean, just even in listening to how you reflected on, on the experience, you could hear, I mean, you could hear in your voice how powerful that, that lesson became because of, you know, because of the subject matter and because of the experience. I guess it makes me wonder um, that, you know, I guess the, I've been thinking a little bit about the power of an in-person anecdote, you know, where you, you read some statistics and some articles, you watched footage, but then you also had um, a person who had experienced some of those things in a different setting, you know, how different can it be, um, the setting she came from and the setting that she was now in, Meridian, Idaho versus did you say she was in Los Angeles? Yeah. 
um, how, how different those two settings um, could be. What would you say, um, how did you notice the kids reacting to her information that she was providing to them from based on her experience? Um, they immediately started taking a different tone and how mm-hmm. they were addressing the issue altogether. Some of the students who were adamant that, you know, police are pretty much always justified in what they do, um, you know, suddenly started contemplating, um, I think a little bit deeper, but they were also, you know, now they were talking directly to their classmates, someone that they knew pretty well. Um, And so there was a certain level of, you know, almost respect or reverence towards the subject matter rather than just, you know, completely removed emotionally from it. Um, So I think that's one of the the biggest things that personal anecdotes can do. Yeah. Um, Because I always give the example of, you know, you, if you are in a car wreck and you know, you, someone uh, rear ends you on the freeway and you get out all mad and you're ready to light this person up and you find out it was either your best friend or your brother, suddenly your tone changes <laughs> Yeah, because of your connection to that person. And so right. those personal um, connections that are most powerful um, because it, in, in some senses it, it engages you emotionally, but it also uh, brings down your um, your emotional irrationalness. <laughs> you know, if I understand what I'm trying to say, like I, I totally understand that term that you may have just coined, emotional <laughs> irrationalness. But I think I totally get it in this in this climate that we're um, finding ourselves living in right now. Um, I was wondering then, so then the other class, you, you have that really unique perspective of being able to teach the same lesson a couple times, which, um, you know, can be a blessing and a curse um, because you can't, you can't, you can't have um, lightning strike in the bottle twice. Right. Right. So Cassie wasn't in there. You mentioned that it was a little bit different. Um, Were they still able to build the same level of, um, empathy from just the the work you had done in class and the um, maybe the footage of the body cam or was did that reverence not really get into the the conversation the discussion um, it definitely didn't get to the same level as the class that Cassie was in uh, mm-hmm. I had uh, you know, I tried to um, guide her. I mentioned Cassie's story. I didn't. Yeah. Um, but even me retelling that secondhand, it doesn't have the same effect. Um, but students could see that, hey, you know, it really is different in different cities, you know, different places. And, you know, why would, you know, everyone has their biases and beliefs and, but when, you know, there is, you know, this, someone that they actually know, they could have gone and, you know, talked to her later on um, and, and gotten, 
you know, more of her perspective. Um, but again, it's, it wasn't exactly the same for sure. You know, yeah, they're still removed a little bit. Well, and I think that's something that teachers really have to consider um, when using this type of material, right? It's like, if you, if you really don't have those type of firsthand accounts, it's different even showing them like a YouTube clip or, or things. But when it's an actual live human being that's right in front of them, I think there's a difference there. I really would have to agree. And, and you're really making me think uh, about the power of the, of the firsthand um, anecdote. I wanted to um, have our listeners really uh, focus in on one of the moves that I thought was just really it's so simple, but it's so stellar that you did. Like you had this, this girl, you noticed the emotion that she was having. Um, I think a lot of teachers can make the mistake of, you know, something, you know, you show a video, you, you have an experience, something emotional happens and you just jump right in, right? You just want to get right there. But you took this move of checking in and gave and told the kids to check their notes and you kind of gave them a minute or, or a few minutes to wrestle with that emotion right and do you think that you do that intentionally um did you plan that or did you or was it the emotion on her face that made you take that wait time um it was planned but i definitely gave the, I was thinking of Cassie and gave uh-huh. several longer moments in that class versus the other one um, when, I, when I could see that, you know, students aren't, you know, you know, they're kind of done scanning their notes and grappling with it a little bit. So I gave yeah. this class more time for sure um, and then waited to see. Um, but then when she was the first one to speak, I know that she was she was ready to to speak up. So. Yeah, I think that's an excellent move. And I and I know it's simple, but I think sometimes I, in my own classroom, forget to do that. Just, just take that extra minute just to let them grapple in their own heads with something that's hard before they're, because I think if you wouldn't have waited, you know, some of your more adamant um, already would have maybe, you know, come with guns a blazing, but you kind of gave the class a chance to kind of bring the level down just a minute and be ready to listen. Right. Right. Um, Uh, There, that little bit of reflection time one helps them, you know, make sure that their, their comments are thoughtful and not just, you know, um, off the cuff. Um, But it also kind of, like you said, helps them prepare a little bit more emotionally. Um, but they the you know, Cassie's class was re was reacting to the video and her because, you know, most of them, you know, she was new to the school. So, you know, we didn't, I mean, I didn't, uh, hadn't known, um, much about her either. So that was, it was a surprise. Yeah. Those are like those great moments sometimes that you, I mean, you just, you can't plan that 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 was that was just like one of those wonderful moments that hopefully um, helped build that 
some empathy within your classroom. And I know that's something that really matters to you, having known you for a long time. And I've heard you talk about um, wanting to help your students tap into um, being empathetic. Um, how do you feel like you try to build those types of experiences for them? Like, or what are you noticing over the years about the empathy that high schoolers um, have or maybe don't have um, on certain, what, what do you think about empathy and, and how it reflects on your high schoolers? Um, it's probably the hardest thing to, to address and build capacity for. Um, because it's really, it's an abstract concept. You're trying to understand why someone believes or sees the way that they do. And it's not your own. It's not your own perspective. It's not your own belief system. Um, and um, that, so the older students are, the more mature they are, the more cognitive um, uh, ability, or I should say that the more readily uh, they can address just even thinking about walking in someone else's shoes, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, is, is still hard to gauge. Um, but I try to give them as many opportunities by you know, things like this, giving um, as much credible, valid information as possible. Um, we talk a lot about personal biases and what um, influences our perspectives and why we have these values. And, um, and so when they start thinking about themselves, they start to realize there's, you know, someone who has the opposing view, um, their, their belief system is, has the same components. They're just the opposite. So then they, I think that's when they can start seeing, um, start to understand, like, I, why and even if they disagree at least considering why and that it um a lot of times um is valid right right that's that's one of our biggest jobs is for teaching argument is you know you can see validity and and just about everything rarely is something so outside the realm of of um reality that it, it's not valid at, at some level so um, yeah, but it's, it's a definitely tough. And um, so having topics like this um, really challenges all students to um, up their reflection and, and really start thinking about um, not only why and how they believe, but um, to build true understanding or empathy for others. Well, and I, I was going to ask you, you know, because I teach sixth grade and, and sometimes, um, you know, I have to be really careful of some of the topics um, that I that I do. And, and I also know that you and I have had lots of discussions before about, you know, how we how what we're willing to, you know, present to our students um, and, and not having that backlash from parents who think that it's not relevant or, 
you know, they're afraid to have students, you know, be controversial, you know, read controversial subjects. Um, what advice, because you're somebody who has tackled that in such a professional way and responsible way, what advice would you have for teachers that may be fearful in this current, you know, political climate, um, just of the, of the, the anger and the, uh, not one side versus the other, but just fearful to attempt these types of classroom discussions because it's, they, they want to stay safe. They want to, um, they're just, they're just a little scared. What would you say to them? Um, first, I always think about our, um, the skills and knowledge that the content is tied to. So if I can justify using a topic because it allows for um, paying attention to a specific set of skills and concepts that are in the curriculum, um, I think most administrators are gonna back you up if you know a, a parent or a um, student you know, has pushback. Um, but I also, um, so in this case, we were looking at opposing viewpoints, you know, that was um, an argument. And, um, and so everything was tied back to, you know, um, those, those skills. And um, we chose, um, you know, this topic, because it, as we mentioned earlier, it was something that students we're already talking about because there's more and more things going on around um, the country, even in 2018. Mm -hmm. And it was something that locally, thankfully, we haven't had to, to directly um, uh, engage with a lot. Right. We, mm -hmm. um, and so as a classroom teacher, um, I took those things into account. And then, you know, went back to the, the just good principles of, of um, argument, right? Yeah, teaching a topic. You got to have multiple resources. You have to have balanced resources, right? So if I have um, so many with um, the perspective that um, uh, police are just trying to do their jobs and um, most police are in for the protecting of, of people in general versus um, perspectives that show, you know, police as um, undertrained or, you know, vindictive or um, right. Perverse, right. And so, but you're, um, but also relying on the credibility of those resources, right. So doing a lot of, um, you know, providing a lot of resources from, from various places, but also allowing students to come up with some of their own resources. That was another thing that I did was, here's what I found and I'm providing you with. What have you, you know, what else can you go out and find and, and research on your own? Um, and then also, you know, allowing them to have the discussion, right? We don't provide stuff and then say, now don't talk about it. Don't engage in debate. Right. <laughs> so giving them that space but also all the backward, like we had talked about earlier, is how do you get to the point where, you know, you can have conversations that just don't turn into meltdowns and fights in the classroom. 
And it's because there's a lot of work before this. You don't start the year out with a topic like this. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I think you're exactly right. So all those things definitely help. Um, and um, so I think as long as you're, you're in sound teaching practices and you, you know, you're trying to be objective as possible and do the same thing that people are doing out in the real world, um, you know, people can't it's really hard to argue with that. You know, you, I don't want my, my um, kids talking about what's in the news cycle. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Well, Jody, I just want you to know, um, I think as far as our essential question that we talked about, I think um, you have given us a lot to think about, about responsibly helping students explore other perspectives to develop their own claim. Um, and I really love that your classroom is a place that not only are students learning about empathy and um, having a chance to explore how to be empathetic to, to others, but you're building that cap capacity to see others' perspectives. And I, I just think it couldn't be more timely or necessary. Um, and so I'm really glad that you came on to help others discuss others who might be wanting to have this type of these types of discussions in their class and just maybe needed a little help thinking through it so you've helped me today I really appreciate it um, so thank you for letting me talk to you today it was fun to um, hear your perspectives and your stories yeah I was glad to be here and I'm glad that you are providing such a thoughtful conversation with me Friends who are listening, if you want some more information on TWIG our, and the work that we do, you'll find it on our website. Our web website is twig.fun. Um, and there you can access info on the Tuesdays with TWIG that we have. Um, we are going to have our next session on October 26th on our next Tuesday with TWIG from 7 to 8 p.m. where you can find the link on our website, twig.fun. Um, we will be discussing um, how do writers use evidence to support their claims, what is effective evidence, and why. So if that interests you, we would love to have you join us. Remember, we also have a blog. We are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And if there's any past um, episodes of this TwigCast that you're interested in listening, they are all on our website. So on behalf of Twig, which is Jess, Jody, Mary Beth, Maddie, Nick, and me, we, I want to thank you for joining us and wish you joy in your teaching and learning. <laughs>